0: Hello and thank you for joining me. I am Amara Bangura and this is the CPS podcast brought to you by the Delea Institute for Children, Peace and Security. The world is facing one of its greatest challenges, the COVID pandemic, and UN peacekeepers are facing it too. They are in different parts of the world assisting governments as well as local communities to respond to the pandemic and at the same time, trying to prevent the recruitment and use of children in conflict and help bring peace to those countries. It's a daunting task, and the world is grateful for their hard work and sacrifices. Thanks to the UN General Assembly for recognizing May 29th as the International Day of UN Peacekeepers. It's a day to commemorate peacekeepers for their hard work across the world, people pay tribute to all women and men who have served as military, police, or civilians in UN peacekeeping missions. Their dedication and courage are commended, and the memories of those who have lost their lives in the cause of peace are honored. But like everyone else, peacekeepers and every member of the security sector need the required knowledge and skills to be able to effectively serve in their missions. That's why the Delia Institute is working to prepare them before facing their challenging tasks across the world.
1: This training per se uh, opened our understanding. We are able to now be able to articulate issues of children. We are able to bring to the attention of our leaders that look here, at children an important part. We must be able to front them in planning, in participation such that we understand who they are and what they need to go through and what they should not go
0: through. That's Major Jacqueline Yakenzi in Uganda. We'll hear more from Major Yakenzi later to tell us how that training helped her during her peacekeeping mission in Somalia. We also have Captain Asayu in South Sudan, who just completed the Delea Institute's Training of Trainers course in South Sudan.
2: He's really very good. Yeah. And he's someone who is, when he's facilitating, I think I agree with Vicky, nobody would sleep because he knows how to make it fun and interesting. So good job. Congratulations.
0: Well... All these trainings are embedded within the Vancouver Principles on the Prevention of the Recruitment and Use of Child Soldiers. And so things will be so much better for members of the security sector if countries endorse and implement them. The Delea Institute's Director of Policy, Advocacy and Communications, Anthony Dikalu, who is also a former peacekeeper, will be here to tell us more about that. This is a CPS podcast brought to you by the Delea Institute for Children, Peace and Security, a global leader that is working to end the use of children in conflict. First, we begin with Major Jacqueline Yakayenzi, one of the first officers trained by the Delea Institute in Uganda before she was deployed to Somalia to work with the African Union Mission, or AMISOM. We reached her in Uganda to talk about the Delea Institute's training she received and how it helped her during her mission in Somalia.
1: Yes, uh, in 2015, uh, we had a train of trainers with the Delea Initiative and I was one of the trainees. It was the first of its kind from the Delea Initiative and basically it was about issues to do with uh, child soldiers and of course, uh, we learned a lot. There was a lot of experience sharing uh, from colleagues who had participated in the war where children were involved, who were being abducted. To be more specific, uh, the training was really relevant and uh, it brought on board uh, many officers from different uh, spectrums and were able to share uh, experiences, were able to share the knowledge and also uh, for me, the catchword is that uh, children are important and they must be brought uh, to the attention of the topmost agenda, uh, specifically on issues of security. Uh, I learned that when we put children on the security again agenda, basing on the, the way children behave, they are the future generation, that's the first thing. And when we target children, then we are targeting a generation. Uh, So this training, per se, uh, opened our understanding. We were able to now be able to articulate issues of children. We were able to bring to the attention of our leaders that look here children an important part. We must be able to front them in planning, in participation, such that we understand who they are and what they need to go through and what they should not go through.
0: Interesting. And and since then, you've been on to various peacekeeping missions, right? You've been to Somalia, for example. Um, can you share with us uh, your experience in Somalia? What was it like?
1: Uh, yes, I participated in the peacekeeping mission, and that is the AMISOM. Uh, I've been to Somalia two times. Uh, in the first one, I went in 2013. Uh, where I was deployed as the semic officer And uh, as a semic officer basically your role is to interact with the civil population. And when I talk about interacting with the civil population, uh, this is where you go deep into the communities to engage the community leaders, uh, engage the women, because we realize that in Somalia, my experience in Somalia is that uh, most families are women-led, why? Because uh, the men have joined the Al-Shabaab and uh, most of them, they are doing activities of the Al-Shabaab. And you find a family has been left either with the woman alone or with children. And sometimes the children are also forced to join the Al-Shabaab because they are looking for a way of surviving. Uh, two, they are being used as spies to come and spy on the Amazon forces, uh, you find children are uh, being sent to the Amazon camps in the pretext mm-hmm. that they are coming to beg around. So the children, you'll find them on the fences asking things like, gift, gifting. mom, so, mom, gift, 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 gift.
0: So mainly they were so, used as spies.
1: Children were used as spies. Mm. Others would be used as suicide bombers because they are being indoctrinated. Mm. So these children Uh, they would come out very bold. Some of them, of course, would be even holding weapons. But others who are used as spies, they would come around asking for food because they would be like, they are looking for food as they study your patterns within your camp. Mm. Uh, And in fact, uh, most times, uh, such instances happen that in in camps where children would frequent more times, we experienced what we would call incoming bomb attacks. You, you'd you find that in the evening, late hours, you would find shelling's coming into specific areas because when these children would come in, for us, we were would be very friendly, we would welcome them, give them what to eat, give them medication. But uh, we didn't know at the beginning that these children are being used to spy on our areas, especially where we have put our... For example, where our big weapons are located, uh, where our armors, where our fighting vehicles are located, such things. They would come and you'd see them loitering within the camp. But at the beginning, of course, we, we didn't know that these children are uh, being used as spies. But later on, uh, through the civic work that I was doing, would go into the community and then through the interaction with the leaders, You would ask questions, and then the leaders would be open and tell you, yeah, we have some of the children who have been used, and that's how we started learning that uh, the children, yes, we are having them. So sometime, a time reached when we would have these children and would keep them with us. We would tell them until your parent comes here uh, to pick you up. Then you you realize that some of them would tell you they are the only people at home, they have siblings to take care of, And indeed, it was true. Some of them were uh, family heads. Uh, They would be having like uh, more three siblings behind them. You find a 14-year-old is the one looking after the rest. So it was a challenging situation, though. But um, the beauty of it was that, uh, you know, UPDF uh, is a pro-people force. and uh, So what's UPDF? It is Uganda People's Defense Forces. Oh, okay. Uh, UPDF is a pro-people force. We, it, we we socialize with people. We want to help people where we can. So you realize that in all our camps in Somalia, we we'll would be able to give free medical attention to whoever civilian person, anybody who would come into our camp. We had that. And our CIMIC cell, uh was specifically organizing days, like you would say, a Monday maybe a Wednesday, we are treating civilians from outside. So through those uh, medical interactions with with the the community, they would come inside. Of course, as we are treating, we would talk to them and we would discuss many things, hygiene, issues of gender, Mm -hmm. we would talk about issues of human rights, how they are finding the situation. And I realized that the women would tell you the truth about the Al-Shabaab and the whole conflict. Uh, but the men, mm-hmm. they would not. Because for them... Why is that? Their party because one, most of the men were also part of the al Shabab, And two, mm-hmm. uh, the men believed in their clans. And if the clan that was ruling is not their clan, then they would never be in favor of that clan. So for them, they would always be on the negative. And we rescued very many. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the operations, many children were rescued. And I think you have seen examples, you have seen videos of children who have been rescued.
0: Interesting. Can you tell me how successful was the community approach in Somalia?
1: Uh, the the community approach, uh, specifically what we call the key leader engagement. Uh, in short, they call it key, KLE. Mm-hmm. Uh, why the KLOE was very vital and the, uh, this is how it helped us to achieve, uh, one of our operational missions. One, when we engaged with the community leaders, we would talk with the leaders. The leaders would be able to identify and they would locate for you and say, look, in this particular area, this and this activity is taking place. And in such a place, you'd find children. And then I was happy that I was able to participate in the formulation of the gender action plan of the Somali. And uh, at least as a woman, I felt uh, this was an achievement. I felt that, yes, Ansem is putting an impact to the Somali government because we really helped them uh, Mm -hmm. to, to formulate even a gender action plan for the country, which was not there. And uh, we were able to take many women through uh, a lot of trainings, uh, especially things to do with gender issues, uh, leadership. Women should get up and also uh, speak. Women in Somalia were not speaking because they would only be, their men would be the one to speak. Mm -hmm. And the women were not looked at as people who could lead. But I'm happy that uh, in the A few years that we've been there, at least we've seen a change. Uh, We've seen women have become leaders in Somalia.
0: That was Major Jacqueline Yakanyenzi. She is the Deputy Director of Human Rights for the Ugandan People's Defense Force in Uganda. Now we move on to South Sudan, a country locked in its own brutal civil conflict since it's gained independence from Sudan. And according to UNICEF, some 19,000 children were recruited and used during its conflict. The Delaware Institute opened its first country office there in 2018 to help end the use of children in that conflict, and it has been using different approaches there, including training members of the security forces there on the prevention of recruitment and use of child soldiers. And Captain Tidi Asayo is one of our latest graduates. He's excited about the training, but says trainings like the one he has just benefited from should be extended even to senior commanders.
2: Uh, This training that we have done is going to help us a lot. And up to this particular moment, as I'm talking, I'm I'm now trying to look at the child from an informed point of view. And this issue of recruitment of of children in the forces, uh, the child soldiers, is not actually in place. And we have seen a lot of uh, children being vulnerable. And that is why this training will actually sharpen me and will actually give me enough to actually talk of children a lot. Looking
0: at children from an informed point of view, that's very good. How do you think the knowledge and skill you acquire from this training is going to impact others on preventing the recruitment and use of children as soldiers?
2: Uh, as we have already been trained and we have completed the training, the TOT. We are going to remain as the custodians or the ambassadors of, of this training to go and pack this knowledge into the others, those who have not attended this training, to go and actually preach to them and tell to them the importance of this training and the importance of avoiding children not to associate with the army. Children are early warning indicators. When children are being recruited in the army, then let us know that that particular conflict is going to be taking a long time, a long period of time. That is why there has to be early warning. Then the second point is that when children are being recruited, then all the other children will automatically be suspected. They will become targeted by the army and meanwhile others are not really child soldiers. And then the second reason is that children are our future. When they are being recruited then that is going that is not going to be good one of the target group that i will have to talk about are the really are really the commanders the commanders of all the regular forces of all the south sudanese forces and even the ncos and men if we are to be given opportunity to go and teach them or actually tell them about the importance of not recruiting children as we have actually being trained, I'm quite sure that this training is going to be extended to them so that all the entire forces will be involved in this knowledge. As we know that there are forces around us, all the forces across the country have no knowledge about this uh, this training. And therefore it will be very important if they could train other more people so that to increase and so that the work will be be made uh, uh, very good For
0: them to help us thank you very much that was captain td asayu speaking to south sudan journalist taban juma in case you are just joining us this is the cps podcast brought to you by the delia institute for children peace and security a global leader that is working to end the use of children in conflict i am amara bangura Today we are looking at the Delea Institute's security sector approach to ending the recruitment and use of child soldiers. And earlier, you heard Major Jacqueline Yakayenzi, who says a community approach during their mission in Somalia helped them learn about how the Al Shabaab militant group was using children. Captain T D Asayo in South Sudan says he'll now look at children from an informed point of view, but hopes that more officers will be trained as well. 101 countries that have already endorsed the Vancouver Principles have one more step to go. That is to implement them. The benefit is double. It will help protect children in conflict as well as protect members of the security sector who often face serious dilemmas when they come in contact with children. Well, we now have the Delea Institute's Director of Policy, Advocacy and Communications, Anthony DeCalu, who is also a former peacekeeper, to tell us
3: more about this. Well, thank you Amara, thank you for the invitation. Um, I've been with uh, the Delaire Institute working here um, based out of Ottawa since April, 2019. Uh, So uh, prior to joining in April, 2019, I uh, spent three years as a policy advisor for the uh, Office of the Minister of National Defense of Canada and uh, where I worked on a multitude of uh, files and portfolios Uh, One of them being the United Nations Peacekeeping Defense Ministerial in November of 2017, where the uh, Vancouver Principles were launched. And uh, it is an honor to be here today with you. Great. So let's talk about the Vancouver Principles for a start. What exactly are the Vancouver Principles and what are they about? Well, thank you very much, Amara. Um, So, like I mentioned, they were launched in November 2017 at the United Nations Peacekeeping Defence Ministerial in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. The full name of the Vancouver Principles is the Vancouver Principles on Peacekeeping and the Prevention of the Recruitment and Use of Child Soldiers. And so, Vancouver Principles, for short, um, are basically a set of political commitments focused on child protection and peacekeeping including all stages of conflict cycle. Uh, Collectively, they comprise of 17 principles that focus on preventing the recruitment and use of children as soldiers by armed forces and armed groups.
0: Thank you, Anthony. Can you tell us how are these principles important for the prevention and recruitment and use of child
3: soldiers? How are they important? The importance of this, of course, is that preventing, and this is what is part of our mission and our vision here at the Institute, That by preventing the recruitment and use of child soldiers is is incredibly critical to achieving overall UN peacekeeping mission success and to setting the conditions for lasting peace and security. The 17 uh, different principles all interact holistically in providing uh, UN peacekeepers and member states that deploy uh, peacekeepers, either military, police or civilians, with the tools to address child protection and the grave violations against children in, in a holistic fashion. And um, wanted to just say that in 2017, 55 UN member states saw that as a, an initial and an important need and, and were founding endorsers of the Vancouver Principles. And now to this day, uh, there are over 100 countries that have endorsed um, and are beginning to implement those Vancouver Principles. And so by doing so, by endorsing and implementing, member states acknowledge the unique challenges posed by child soldiers and commit to prioritizing the prevention of the recruitment and use of child soldiers in peacekeeping operations, to helping ensure that all peacekeepers are prepared and directed to take appropriate action. And therefore myself, as a, also a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, Army Reserves, Infantry Officer for over 12 years. And someone who deployed as a a UN peacekeeper in 2013 uh, in what was then known as MINUSTA, uh, the uh, stabilization uh, mission in Haiti, um, see the importance of the Vancouver Principles and why it's so important for us to, as deployed uh, peacekeepers, to be prepared for such encounters Hey, you just mentioned that you are a former peacekeeper. And I'm curious
0: to know, what was that experience like for you, um, taking into consideration that you moved to a country that you don't know the language, you don't understand the cultural barriers and even the conflict dynamics? What was that experience like for you?
3: What I can say from my uh, experience in 2013 Mm. is that um, I was not prepared to... uh, to uh, encounter specifically this issue, uh, as from a UN peacekeeping uh, uh, mission per se, one that was very familiar with the realities of Haiti due to my upbringing in in uh, Montreal, Canada, and, and a large diaspora, Haitian diaspora, located there off, uh, off the ensues of of, of uh, the 2010 uh, earthquake uh, that ravaged uh, the impoverished country already. Um, coming in 2013, uh, as a peacekeeper, I was I was uh, aware of these certain vulnerability factors of uh, of children, but never making that direct link as a peacekeeper on what that would mean from their recruitment and use in in uh, in armed uh, forces or uh, or armed groups. And so, uh, as a peacekeeper, uh, understanding the totality. Uh, of the mission, it's uh, especially the, the sections that uh, the vulnerable populations and how they interact with security forces. Uh, understanding what constitutes, what are the vulnerability factors that lead to perhaps recruitment and use, um, and how do you, how one can prevent it is in- extremely important, especially as a UN peacekeeper. You, your intention, your goal. There is this, and depending on, on those different types of missions. There are the protection of civilian uh, mandates. You're there to uh, stabilize the uh, and secure the environment in order to allow for uh, the the oncoming uh, benefits of of development and stability to bring the country back to the level where it was pre-conflict.
0: Okay, but now that you have the Vancouver Principles, you understand them, you've read every bit of them. Let's imagine um, you go on another peacekeeping mission. What would you change, or what would you do differently?
3: Oh well, um, just my my ability to see and understand the 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 local population. That lens that I will then be seeing them through my interactions with children, the presence of children, the absence of children, everything changes. The training that I've gone through through uh, with the Dallaire Institute, but of course ever since the implementation, the launch and the implementation of the Vancouver Principles has brought uh, a certain sense of, uh, of importance uh, on, on this work uh, from a peacekeeping perspective. I would um, start looking at um, where children are congregating, uh, where are they not, uh, where is the possibility of recruitment uh, more dire within uh, an assessment, be it from a, a village assessment or be it from, um, you know, a city's assessment or a sector or a neighborhood's assessment. Uh, who are the, the actors that are involved there? The type of information that we're collecting uh, as well uh, and observing, be it from uh, specifically not holistically talking about children looking at the realities of boys and girls in 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 those dynamics mm-hmm. uh in 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 that host country and in that specific area of operation and so there are so many things that have completely changed my mind and my way of seeing things that were not present before all right anthony thank you so very much thank you
0: amara thank you for this day and that's it for today's edition of cps podcast We will be back again next month with another edition to learn more about the Delea Institute's prevention approach to child protection. If you'd like to listen to this podcast again, please tune in, subscribe, and download it. And of course, please feel free to share it. And if you like what you hear and want to support our work, please head to our website at the Delea Institute, click on the donate button, and enter your donation. We'll appreciate that. Thank you so much. This has been Adelia Institute's production. Thanks to all those who contributed. Until we meet again, I am Amara Bangura. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.